Corinthians chapter 1 from verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from our God and from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. Thank you very much, Curry. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to follow along what we're doing, and just move your hand in the air. I think Drew uh, said that, but I think the steward will bring this If you'd like to just move your hand, something will bring you on. We're going to be looking at that bit of the Bible for the next few minutes. Uh, my name is Morris. I'm one of the leaders here. Before I start, can I just reiterate what Josh said? Um, it's exciting that prayer would raise us back. And near the end of the summer, we were just having such amazing, blessed times together, worshiping God and praying. It's been great. So even if you're not usually a power of grace person, I encourage you to come on from past six of our church centre. And we are starting today a new uh, series that we'll be looking at till Christmas in this New Testament letter to the Christians in Colossae. But before we get into that, um, let me tell you about my summer holidays, as I'm sure you're all going to know. Uh, for the first time in a long time this year, we went on a package holiday. And so uh, that was quite an interesting experience for me. I looked around at one point and was like, I'm the only person around this pool without significant tattoos. <laughs> uh, and my wife was like, no midlife crisis tattoo, please. Step away, it's too late. Um, uh, anyway, uh, while I was at my holiday by the pool, I read, and there were people around me drinking beer and kids screaming and swimming and the entertainment people doing their strange little dance. I was reading at the same time this book about prayer. It's an excellent book, and enjoy the possibility of prayer. And this book uh, begins by describing uh, this, which is called a crab nebula, which is an exploding star that is 4,200 light years away from Earth. And it has been exploding for a thousand years. So, since the 10th century, it's been exploding. And in my book about prayer, the writer says this, Somehow, humans pondered the idea of communicating with this God of exploding stars. Did we, he says, did we inherit this insanity? And yet, the point of the book is to say, the God of exploding stars does want you to take all of your cares and your deepest worries and your thoughts to him. That's the claim of this letter to the earliest Christians. That's why we call the series Cosmic 
is that when I pray, that is the same cosmic Jesus listening by whom and for whom the Crab Nebula exists. And his spirit, the real presence of that God in our life, works through hearing and knowing about God's grace in this thing Paul calls in this letter, the Gospel. If you got the best telescope you could possibly get, and looked at the Crab Nebula, you couldn't see any change in it happening. In fact, it's expanding by 17 million miles per day. So if you think of yourself as a speck in the universe, you're flattering yourself. The Earth is a speck in the universe. And yet the claim of this letter to the Colossians is the normal faithfulness of what we might call bog-standard Christians. That is the work of the Crab Nebula God in the world. And my book on prayer said, it's strange to us that God is more interested in our thoughts and feelings than he is in excluding stars. I don't know why that is, but it's true. We do believe he is interested in us. That sounds like an arrogant claim, but it's not arrogant because we humbly accept what we're told, that the cosmic God became one of us. His nature is to humble himself, to reach us. That is the only reason surely to think that we might dare to pray at all if Jesus is God coming to our level. Otherwise, how could we ever expect to be listened to by the Nebula God? Now, if you're a Christian here today, which I guess a few people are, lots of people maybe, you've sort of filed this. <laughs> you know this. We've sung actually about it in our first hymn today. But what you might feel is, how do I sort of plug in to knowing that? I get this universe-sized power and energy is there through Jesus, but how do I like plug into it? And maybe if you're a very keen Christian, you long for some of that reality in your life, you're thinking, yes, I agree, but how do I get there? And this church in Colossae was full of Christians who wanted to know God that way. They longed for his life-transforming power in their lives. And so they were prone, they got caught up, they got deceived into weird stuff, into strange spiritual practices, religious rituals, denying themselves certain pleasures, getting themselves into a mystical trance because they were like, how do we get to the crab nebula God? How do we break through? And that was leading to big problems in the church because the people who were into that would say to people who weren't into that, oh, why don't you get into mystical trances? You mustn't be close enough to God. And it was setting in this two-tier system within the church. And right from the start, in his letter to them, Paul is saying the message of the gospel, which is just a short word to describe big truths about Jesus, has plugged you in to that cosmic God. Perhaps in ways you don't realise or appreciate, but it's happening now if you've trusted this message we call the gospel. And the thing to do is not to look for some other way to plug into God, but to keep Trusting, enjoying, knowing this gospel message, and you will find the power of cosmic Jesus. Anyway, the letter in a couple of weeks' time is going to go totally like cosmic and big picture. 
But it starts very sort of mundane, everyday, close to home with the lives of normal Christians. And this is the first thing uh, we see in our passage. You are gospelly held right now. By and large, if I look at uh, churches and reports about churches in the news, they're a bit depressing. Um, it is depressing news about the church we read in the papers. Um, I tried it this morning. I googled church and used the news search. And it wasn't happy news, any of it, it came up. But honestly, living part of a church community, I find the opposite is true in my experience. That I'm constantly beautifully surprised at the persistence of people trusting Jesus through the things they go through, and the way that people love and care and give of themselves even out of their own struggles. It's just that no one is writing news stories about that. I talked to a friend this week who has been horribly and incredibly let down by a Christian leader in a way that I guess will probably make his local paper. But his reflection on that situation is to say, I can't believe the kindness and care of normal Christians as I go through this difficult thing. So if you're depressed about the state of the church, uh, fair enough. But I think you'll probably find you can only be incredibly thankful for the Christians that you know. And that is the way the church goes forward. We don't expect media representations of the church to be positive. We don't expect famous Christians to do the work for us. Ask most people who know a real Christian who actually trusts Jesus, who knows the way that Paul means knows the gospel, you will find that person saying, yeah, that Christian is someone who persists and loves and who I rely on. It's a quiet revolution. And many people in this church, most of you probably, although I don't know the details, are living that life out in some of the most tricky and complex situations every day. Continuing to trust Jesus, continuing to love the church, to form a community of light in the world, you, normal Christian, I guarantee you, are being a well of life to people around you. And I want to thank God for that, not you. Because the goodness that Christians at their best bring to the world comes from God, not from us. And it comes through, Paul says, the Gospel. Which is an odd thing to say if you're actually living this out, because you probably feel like, oh no, I think I have quite a bit to do with it. I guess some people perceive Christianity like another moral code. You know, Christians have found an excellent moral teacher in Jesus, and they're trying to do what he says, and his moral code is very good. That is not how the earliest Christians understood their faith. Paul says it in verse 1. You can look down or see it on the screen. He says, we thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. See, it says, we notice something about you, but we thank God for it. And he says, this thing that you show, faith and love, that grows out of the hope stored up for you in heaven, which you heard about through the gospel. So he says, the way it works is not, oh yes, we find a moral code and we follow it. It's not how it works. The way it works is this. You have this hope held on in the gospel. When that's put in front of you, what it calls out of you is this persisting faith and this joyful, loving life. 
That's what fuels the change. And he uses this word hope, not in the way that we normally use hope. Um, maybe the way we use hope is not very certain. So for example, someone said to me this week, I hope Liverpool win the league. I would say that's an uncertain hope. Sorry. And uh, it's not life-changing to sort of vaguely hope that. You know, you might be a bit emotionally invested, but it's not going to change your life, hoping that that might happen. But say your hope is, I hope to go away on holiday, and it's not just, oh, I might go somewhere this summer, but the holiday is booked and paid for, and you know it's coming. That's the type of hope you mean. That will change your life in the run-up to the holiday, I promise you. It's how it worked for me in the first week of July. That certain hope will affect the way that you are now. And the Gospel, this message about Jesus, promises this certain hope of perfect eternity with God an absolutely safe and right and close and perfect relationship of adoption with God now. That's guaranteed. It's booked. It's paid for. And when you have that type of hope, it brings out of you faith. It brings out of you love. It's a spiritual hope. It's in heaven. You can't see it, but you heard about it in the Gospel. And knowing that produces a life of faith and love. We don't work up faith. We don't work up love even. It's much more like sitting on a chair. You just see that it's trustworthy and you do it. You can't be someone excited about going on holiday if there is no holiday. So you can't be someone who lives this Christian life if there is no hope to trust in. The truth comes and is known, and that brings transformation. I was speaking to a lovely Christian, not, uh, not in our church so uh, while ago, although maybe this does apply to our church. She was a very lovely Christian, quite a new Christian, and she got involved in a church that they have very long sermons. You know, you guys are lucky. <laughs> Um, now, I'm not making a value judgment about long sermons, I actually like a long sermon, but she was really struggling with the long sermons in this church. But everybody else in the church seemed really into it, were taking notes and saying, what a great sermon today. And she was like, I'm finding this really hard. Am I really a real Christian? And when I was chatting to her, she said, what came out was, she still saw Jesus and she still persisted in trusting him. And she still persisted in loving these Christians, even though she felt a bit alienated from them. It's like, of course you're a real Christian. We don't make the judgment on some spiritual fad or fashion. It's like, is Jesus in front of you? And is that bringing faith and love from you? Of course you are. These really great Christians Paul thanks God for because they live with faith and love and, and for other Christians. There's loads of that in this person's life and so their reaction to sermons is not really important. And Paul here is really just bigging up this message of the Gospel. He's saying anything that helps you know the Gospel is good because when you know the Gospel that produces faith and love, Christian life. 
But I think that also probably means that if you're here because the people aren't honest, and the people here aren't honest, I mean, we get a lot wrong, and undoubtedly, but the people in our church are really incredibly and tirelessly kind. If that's the reason you're here, we need to be clear with you that we're not people of faith because we have that personality type. Okay, we are the type of people who have faith. It's because someone has set in front of us a hope that can be trusted. We're not people of love because we have found the best ethical system we're trying to live it. We have peace and assurance from God. And that produces kindness and love to others. And Paul thanks God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he's saying, knowing that eternal relationship of love, a father and son, we love each other, revealed through the gospel, adopted into that family, that is what bring change, brings change to us, if there is any there. Maybe you are thinking, yeah, you know, I'm sure you're being honest about some of the people in this church, but when I reflect to myself, I think that my faith is weak, my love is quite poor. First thing I want to say to that is that probably your perception. I think that was going on in Colossae, that some of the Christians Paul was really grateful for were being like, oh, I'm not as good as that Christian. And when I have conversations with lots of people who say to me, oh, I'm really struggling as a Christian, but in fact what they do is uh, hang on to Jesus and persist in serving and showing up and loving. Well, you might feel like you're struggling, but you're doing what you're supposed to do. So it could be perception. But maybe you are really listening here and thinking, the truth is, outside Sundays, I do ignore God. He just doesn't matter to me. I prefer debating ideas. Or I'm totally flooded with anxiety. The stuff you are saying about the people here, here is a guilty secret. It's not true of me. I'd like it to be different. What will help? In our spiritual tradition, which is a bad tradition, this one, the spiritual fad to deal with that would be a good telling off. That's what you need. A strong sermon will I say, stop it. Stop ignoring God. Stop being anxious and sad. And you say, oh yes, I feel very convicted. Thank you for your sermon. Go home and continue to feel sad, probably. In other traditions, it would be different things. A ritual you go through to connect with God or a spiritual experience. Paul says it is the gospel and the hope it brings that will change you. Really knowing through and through that you are safe with God, that he is for you, that he is an ever-present help in times of trouble, that his steadfast love is a constant reality, that he has removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. You don't need to do anything except trust Jesus to be access to him. That is what will awaken a new life in you. I love the way Paul says in verse 7, um, no, verse 6, he talks about the gospel and then he says, Just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it, and truly understood God's grace. That's actually just the word, know, that you knew God's grace. Um, but 
The person is trying to make it truly understood. So he's not saying know the information. He's saying you know the gospel in your heart. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, I can be polite to people here. Or maybe you're thinking, I can't even do that. I can be polite to people here, but I am not a loving person. Or I generally find loving this person very hard. Uh, I was listening to uh, Spotify when I was writing this talk, and a song lyric came up that I thought really sums up the way lots of us deal with each other. The song lyric was, is it insensitive for me to say, get yourself together so I can start loving you? That's why lots of our relationships work, isn't it? And you might listen to this persistent love in the faith and think, no, I'm more like that. I spend time in church wishing everybody else would get themselves together and then I will love them. My life is not marked by love for God's people at all like theirs, like uh, theirs in Colossae. But what if you had endless love to draw on? What if you had every spiritual blessing poured on you? What if you didn't need to be loved by others because you knew you were so loved by God? What if you were saved with Jesus? Maybe your posture to people is like, well, I need you to be this way towards me so I can be like that towards you. And Paul says, no, the hope in heaven held out in the gospel is that you don't need that from others. You're so sufficiently, deeply held by the cosmic Jesus of the crab nebula who came in human form, who loves you endlessly, who lives in you by his spirit, if you know that, love will spring out. It's miraculous. Paul calls it in verse 8, love in the spirit. It's a spiritually produced miracle. But it happens through the gospel. There's lots more of that to come in weeks ahead, but this is the first thing that we see. You are gospelly held right now. That cosmic, eternal hope, access to, through the beautiful gospel, it is doing that in Christians today. We see it in the church and we thank God for it, but if it's not you, the gospel, if you know it, will bring that transformation. Before we move on, if you're thinking a bit sort of low or depressed or tired as a Christian, it would be good to do what Paul does here, because it's not an application of the passage, it's just interesting to notice. Look around at the Christians around you and actually write down some of the ways you're thankful for their faith and love. Honestly, it will cheer you up, no end. But that's already a point from the top, it's just, that was interesting. Here's the next thing we see, and these two points are actually <coughs> You're a part of something cosmic right now. Some people love numbers. It's strange, but true. And here's some numbers that might surprise you if you're that type of person. In the world today, the number of people who profess a religious faith is growing, not shrinking. The number of atheists in the world is shrinking. There are 20 million less atheists in the world than there were in 1970, which is amazing really given how much the world's population has grown. Out of all the religious faiths that are growing, Christianity is growing the quickest, and Bible-believing, faith-sharing Christianity is growing the quickest of that group. The growth is in the global south amongst the poorest people in the world, many places in countries where it's not actually legal to be a Christian that the church is growing. And here's a really interesting one, I thought. 
1900, which is not that long ago, 95% of all Christians lived in a majority Christian country. But today, about 50% of Christians live in countries that are not majority Christian. This is like quite an exciting moment then. There are a large number of people who aren't Christians, who live in non-majority Christian countries, who know a Christian. And they are uh, probably the Christian they're getting to know is a Christian with a real, genuine, deep faith, someone who wants to share their faith. That is the moment in church history that we're in. But when we gather here on Sunday in a country that's pretty apathetic, even hostile to Christians who believe the Bible and want to share their faith, it's hard to believe that. But if you trust Jesus, you are part of the biggest, most persistent movement in all of his, in all of history. And that movement is based on trusting Jesus and loving people. And it continues, as Paul says in verse 6, to bear fruit all over the world. Even more so now than when Paul wrote that. This doesn't feel that way to us. Undoubtedly, Paul is reminding us of the enthusiastic church that are keen for the latest spiritual fad. It's not spiritual fads that are bearing fruit all over the world. The church is not growing and bearing fruit in faith and love because of techniques and brilliant leaders and excellent marketing. I mean, there are Christians like that, don't get me wrong, but let me be frank. If you go to most churches, it's a sadly amateurish effort led by deeply flawed people. You know, coming here is not like going to the cinema. It's just not. There's something different and more real going on, but a lot less flashy. What's booming around the world is the message, the gospel about Jesus. And Paul said to these Christians, therefore persist in your faith in that gospel. Now, I would say for most Christians here, that's not going to be news to take home from church. What do you learn in church today? To keep trusting Jesus. And, you know, okay. And I would have expected that. But it is tempting to look around, I think, and think, oh, if we did things in a different way, or we told people about Jesus less, and we majored on like ethics over spiritual truth, or even changed the demands of the gospel on people, that's when the church would start growing. Because that's the culture we live in, cynical. But the gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. The truth in what might dismissively be called conservative Christianity is the truth that is growing everywhere. And there's a wider application, therefore, to tired or doubting or bored Christians who feel worried about being part of the losing or feeble team. You know, times have changed. Here in the UK now, at best you get disrespect for being a Christian, and at worst, you know, actual hatred. And you can begin to believe because it's the CV's women, oh come on, there's no way intelligent people can really believe this anymore. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. I'll just adapt my life to make my faith less difficult. Hope in heaven just means no hope at all. If you find yourself thinking that, you are the outlier. You're the strange one. It's our late stage capitalist culture, whatever you call it, that is strange. 
in rejecting the idea of God. And it's here now, unusually, that people are cynical about a life-changing, transforming, Bible-believing faith. Worldwide and history-wide, that is weird. And you can let that culture change your beliefs if you like, although you might want to look around to see what type of world that's creating first. You feel free to step outside and reject the message that's bearing fruit all over the world, that's transforming people to know God and love their neighbour, that's always growing, that's providing hope and community to the poorest people in the world. You can step out of that if you like. But Paul's saying, given that that's happening, best not to give up on it. I get meetings from a great charity called Open Doors and they emailed me about this week because, about this man called Father Edward. And Father Edward has stayed running a church um, in Syria and honestly the footage you just wouldn't believe it. It's like his church building around his rubble. And flocking to this church all of these people with a huge amount of need and this charity Open Doors are giving him money and they're running a clinic and they're worshipping God and sharing the Bible. And he said, people kept offering us the chance to leave, even though this war has been going on for eight years, people offered us the chance to leave. We are glad we stayed, because who else is going to be alive for Jesus here? And I read that and thought, yeah, I want to be on Father Edward's team. He's not on Instagram. He's not cool. He's an old man. He doesn't even speak the same language as me. But that team, that team of gospels bearing fruit all over the world, even in the darkest places in the world, that is the team I want to stick with. You can step out into the world of doing what you want, people thinking you're cool, shallow identity obsession, finding, building a comfortable life for yourself. You do that if you want. But we, we are going to stick with the God of the Crab Nebula, who has reconciled everything to himself through the Son who became a human being and whose serving, loving spirit is slowly infecting a world that just otherwise seems to get worse by itself. Christian, you are already part of something cosmic right now. Third, and quickest thing, we get to be part of faithful friendships right now. Paul finishes this section by talking about a friend of his and theirs, Epaphras. And there are people at least one, having babies soon, and I think, put Paphras on the list. I know it's an unusual name, but Paphras is pretty cool. So, I'm looking forward to meeting a Paphras. Shame. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love the way Paul writes about Epaphras, and he's like, Epaphras is a great guy, everyone, you should listen to him. The gospel teller that they heard the gospel from is a good friend of Paul and a faithful truth teller, and so he's saying, what you heard from him, it was the real deal. Epaphras is a good guy, you should listen to him. And we find out at the end of the letter, Epaphras is still wrestling in prayer for them. So he didn't just deliver the gospel and then run off. He's committed to them for life, praying for them. Epaphras, who told you the real gospel, is not praying all the time that you keep believing the real gospel. That's like a hint. It's like someone who's really great told you something. And they're also praying that you would keep believing it. Hmm, what should we do? That's the nature of this talk about Epaphras. But I think one of the things I love about this verse is this, that the cosmic God is intervening in history through the gospel, and this hope in heaven transforms us to trust Jesus every day, and it's bearing fruit all over the world. Transformed people are just quietly faithful. 
They have friends who say to other people about them, he's a good guy, you should listen to him. They talk to someone about Jesus and then they go and pray for that person. The risk of this talk is basically like, it turns into another telling off. <laughs> go and believe the gospel more and you will become a better person. But the tone here is joy, the tone here is friendship. Paul is delighted with their growth and he's like, I've got this great friend Epaphras and we go on mission together and I just want to invite you to walk uh, trusting Jesus. Not through like try hard to trust the gospel, but like enjoy these life enduring partnerships of faith that we get to work in. I do think in these days of a loneliness crisis, this quality of committed Jesus friendship is there. It's an amazing offer that the gospel gives. That Paul, this great apostle, is like, yeah, Papas, he's my he's a really good guy, we love being on mission together. That's what's lacking in like loads of people's lives. And it only comes through the gospel. <clears throat> because Jesus, the God of the cosmos, he's inviting you to trust him and love him, be part of a worldwide movement, and he's saying enjoy being in a band of faithful, loving brothers and sisters. So whether it's through weird spiritual practices, or culture around you making you feel a bit cynical, or even just tiredness of living the Christian life. Colossians 1 is saying, no, no, we are really thankful to God for your persistence and your love, so don't give up. Know the gospel. You know, one of the funny things about the Bible, with this I'll finish, is that know, that word in the Old Testament, is often used to mean sleep with. No, it's not a passing acquaintance. No, it's used to mean like they knew each other, is to like they had the closest possible intimacy that human beings can have. That's the way Paul is saying, come to know the gospel. Have the closest possible heart relationship with this message about Jesus that you can have. Live in and dwell and enjoy and know this message about Jesus. What will happen? What will spring out is faith, is love, is a band of brothers and sisters who enjoy loving each other. And it happens through the gospel.